Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 164. The acoustics in the room were, I think, in a weird way, delayed or something like that. I couldn't, like, I ne- so I, I, I had didn't the same give experience. any pauses because I was just like, I'm not immediately hearing a laugh. But then sometimes I would hear it, like, a little later. So it was you like maybe great. traveling to the stage Don't at a lie. weird... You were terrific. But no, really thank fun. you. It was really fun. One. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we like to monitor natural disasters from the ninth hole. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and I get that presidents take time off, but I really prefer when they're just less obvious about it, and I prefer it when they have a White House dog. I'll just say that for the record. And I prefer it when they have some sort of a moral fiber. Those are just a couple of things I prefer. But anyways, today we're going to talk about CNN's unprecedented six-hour-long climate change town hall and how the primary candidates plan on low-key saving the earth. And we'll also talk about whether um, removing the gifted and talented programs are a viable way of desegregating schools. And finally, Woodstock, it's the 50th anniversary. How did it define a generation? Um, I'm so excited by today's panel, you guys. Because, and I know I say that probably every week, but the reason I say it is because I'm in a position of maniacal power 
only in this podcast and kind of second to Harry. Um, but in my 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 second banana power position, I get to bring on people that I think are fucking funny and fun and amazing. So that's why I get to say that statement every week and then actually mean it. So, oh my God, uh, for the first time on the show, definitely not the last, uh, you've seen her on HBO and on Comedy Central. She has an album out called So You Just Out Here. She's so incredibly funny. You guys, it's Shalewa Sharp. Hey, Shalewa. Hello. And veteran to the show. Uh, he's, he's been here many times. You know him very well. He has a daily show on Sirius XM, uh, the on the Insight Channel. Uh, he's just uh, um, he's been on everything. Oh, he's performed everywhere. Mm. He's headlined all on over everything. the country. He's been on literally. See my toxicology reports. I have been on everything. Um, and he's currently headlining the uh, Laughing Liberally show off Broadway in New York City, which, which is Nagin a- Farsad. I performed on I performed it, and I'm doing again in a couple of weeks. So it's running until September 21st. It's so great. The lineups are ridiculous. And then headlining, you've got your man, John Fugel, saying. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God. Thanks, you guys, for being on the show. Uh, did you have good Labor Day weekends? Uh, <laughs> Was that celebrated at all? Did um, you just work I, through it? I went to a wedding. That was um, very elaborate um, because it was for a a couple that was younger than me. So they were full of love and hope. (laughs) And and it was adorable to see. Um, And it was so I had to travel to see it. Um, It was my first Jewish wedding. And I was friends with the groom, who's a comic, who's about, I don't know, 6'4". So I really went just to see him be lifted in a chair. In a, um, <laughs> was it traumatizing? Because I, I get scared when non-6'4 people get lifted I, in a chair. I was, I was, I guess um, it was a little terrifying. They seem to be having a blast. Yo, um, I saw and I a, taped it. I but. saw a six-month pregnant Jewish woman also. Hey, what about the order in which those things happened? <laughs> but uh, six months pregnant, she was huge and they lifted her in the chair and I and like the audience was just like schvitzing the whole time. I like, think, oh my God, when is this going to be over? And she handled it like a pro. I think that the joy is so, the joy level so high in that room at that point yeah. that it's pure adrenaline totally. just launching these people up into the sky. I never feel that level of joy. So I was just on the outskirts like, <laughs> man, I hope they can do it. Oh, I'm cheering for you. Uh, did you go to any weddings this Labor Day? No, but I'm a big fan of the, the New York City Labor Day parade, uh, a parade unlike any other. No pesky helicopters of news uh, outfits covering that parade. Uh, no noise <laughs> yeah. from media no. giving coverage. For whatever reason, the people who own the major media don't really feel the need to advertise the work of labor. I couldn't tell you why. So it's the parade where you don't have a lot of people. That's so true. I mean, John. it's the empty. It's so weird. It, no, it's not weird. It's perfectly logical. And it's it's kind of sad that, you know, labor, as as Lincoln said, is the superior of capital and capital knows it. So capital needs to downplay labor. So like every time I've gone to the parade and I take my horrible child, it, it's amazing to go to a parade where there's no crowds because there's no press for it Aww. and uh, not a lot of coverage. But, you know, it's great to support the guys and to see all the men and women who uh, who are organized labor in the city come out for their day and support 
support each other and they're all having fun and it's nice to see them smiling. And, um, and it was my birthday, which was nice. So I got my, my, my second grader. He just started second grade this morning oh. uh, to watch his first Marx Brothers movie, which I, I was the best birthday present for me. What? What? Did he That's love nice. it? Oh, he, yeah. Children love Harpo. It's really true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. If I'm, I could suggest, um, for the parade planners next year to take a page from the West Indian day parade that happens yes, on Labor Day. Yeah. Maybe some glitter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps well, a flatbed truck just... with mm-hmm. speeches being played, but a baseline underneath. That may that may increase. You know what? Body suits and things that are revealing, it wouldn't kill the working guys. I mean, <laughs> you know. No, but you know, what the Labor Day could really use is like a Lady Gaga or a whoever. Something. You know what I you mean? You know, just a, 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 who and Maybe she'll do the glitter and then everyone else can just be proud of their, right. you know, And she can still labor. be in a sensible outfit. But the just glitter's like, really doing the heavy I lifting. Feel, because I feel like celebrities haven't caught on to, like, supporting labor in the same way that, you know, they support some other causes. Oh, you think? And- <laughs> By celebrities, you mean everyone, right? But I just have to say that I saw, oh, my God, what's Olivia Pope's actual name? Carrie Washington. Carrie Washington. <laughs> um, I saw Olivia Pope uh, give a give a speech um, during one of the like one of the many marches of like 2017, mm-hmm. um, and and it was about be and, and she talked about being a member of a union and what that meant, and yeah. I was like. This is great. Why don't we use this woman all the time? It was like it was truly inspiring. Anyways, I don't know. Look it up. Whatever. <laughs> you guys, let's get into the show with topic number one. Okay, so for reasons that defy logic, the Democratic National Committee decided not to hold a climate change debate. Uh, this issue is so central to voters. It's like saying you can put out this fire, but you can't use water or like we do have a scheduled orgy, but no touching. You know what I mean? Like it's like that. Doesn't make sense. But CNN and MSNBC found a loophole in the DNC rules last night. And CNN did a monster six-hour marathon town hall on climate change. MSNBC is going to do one um, a few weeks' time. Each of 10 candidates got 35 minutes to prove they know at least as much as Jay Inslee. Um, So what do you guys think, first of all, by the DNC rules and um, and that uh, CNN and MSNBC um, are uh, conducting these town halls? What? Oh, wait, what do we think about the rules? Just like, yeah, why what do you did think they about, just why have they a, just have an actual, debate? like, right? I, I don't think they think it's that big of a deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, but I mean, if, if, a if, we, if the Democrats deal. don't think if it's a, it's a big, you know, a big deal, then yeah, who I, fucking thinks it's a big deal? That's, that <laughs> is part of, that's a, a big part of the problem. But I feel like they know it's a deal. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like there's still the mindset of, look, man, we just got to whittle this down so that we can beat old dude. Right, 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 um, right. And so until they're told otherwise, even though they're being told otherwise constantly, I feel like it, it still feels like, eh, yes, climate change. Yes. Yes. Sure. Yes. I mean, right. I, I, enjoyed, service climate, I enjoy the debates. Are, are, before I say, are either of you Democratic candidates for president? I want to, I have to ask every group <laughs> I'm mean, in now. I don't want to offend anyone. I, I, I'm why still not? thinking about it. I know it. it's a large field, so I'm just, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, what I thought was interesting was uh, I've enjoyed the debates so far. Um, I think they're great. I love seeing Bill de Blasio and Marianne Williamson on stage the way I loved Al Sharpton on the debate stage in 2000. 
2004. Someone's here to keep me awake. Great. Uh, <laughs> I actually preferred this because mm. um, this was not a case where you would have one minute yeah. to reply to a question. This was actually designed not for hot takes, but for substantive discussion yes. on an issue that affects all of us. They are fighting for the very right wingers who hate them and are dragging this entire town hall episode on social media right now. The debates are kind of like you, you tune in to see one of two camps. Who is going to have uh, sweeping reform of a rigged economic system? And there's Senator Warren, there's Senator Sanders. Or who's going to beat the crap out of Trump in a debate? There's Kamala Harris, there's right. Joe Biden, there's the rest of them. Um, this was not about Trump. Yeah. This was about all of us. It was about the future. And this is the time when we have to find out what is the difference in policy with all these people. They all have one thing in common. A Republican-controlled Senate won't allow them to do anything about climate change. And that's the big elephant in the room. But so do you think that um, the DNC will now go, you know what? Yeah, we do like this idea. Let's do this for other things, even though they didn't <laughs> technically back. I mean, I can see them this. doing it for something like guns. I can yeah. see them doing it maybe, like, you know, for a couple of sexy topics. But right. generally, the debates are ratings machines. And, and, and I don't mind that. Like, I don't people say, oh, I wish we could be England and have six weeks of all this campaigning. That would never work here. We are not a civic people. We we have an attention span like the guy from Memento. We need a year and a half just to know these people and start talking about issues. So for me, the more coverage, the better. And I applaud CNN for doing it. And honestly, the amount of difference towards a habitat that can sustain humanity ending, because the yeah. world's going to be fine. Right. There's going to be a lot fewer of us. There'll still be dirt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, I don't think it, it'll don't... just be contaminated and then it'll kill people. <laughs> I don't think but man, those dinosaurs are going to be lit, uh, right? <laughs> I don't think it's going to end humanity. I think there'll be a lot less of us. But uh, it is really inspiring to see something that uh, on a ratings level is not a sexy topic. No mm -hmm. one likes talking about climate change. So to see CNN devote seven hours of programming to this issue, I, I was honestly, really inspired by it's, uh, I agree. I never like I'm not the kind of person that praises cable news almost ever. <laughs> Me neither. But uh, the fact that CNN devoted so much airtime, they've like actually done something for the electorate on this one. And, and I really appreciate it. And I was truly shocked by I by actually learning something in the way that in the debates, I don't. Right. I yeah. don't feel like I learn very much watching the debates. I feel like I see a, a test of composure in debates. Right. It's not mm -hmm. really it's a it's it's extremely performative, but it's not about substance. And in this like Andrew Yang. Yep. He has a bunch of ideas on climate change, and they sound really uh, well thought out. I mean, he's a considerate guy on this issue in a way that I had no idea. Uh, Julian Castro, not not as much. His answer se answers seemed sort of like vague. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Pete Booty Geek, also <laughs> <laughs> like kind of like more vague. Uh, guys. Can we talk about what Elizabeth Warren wants to do? Mother of dragons. Right. That's exactly Wait, it. Wait, is, is this a, a Game of Thrones? We didn't Actually, just it is, yes. stumble <laughs> into a Game of Thrones thing, did we? Yeah, but I, I think I call Kamala Harris that too. Oh, um, okay. oh do you? Oh, yeah. I, uh, no, so Warren, she wants to put $3 trillion in spending over a decade to combat human-driven global warming. Uh, she wants to eliminate um, planet warming emissions um, over 10 years and add an additional trillion to subsidize that transition. She wants to pay 
pay for that by reversing the Trump tax cuts because mm-hmm. um, that's a fun thing. She actually knows how to pay for her programs. Uh, she wants to retire coal-fired electricity but still fund pensions and health care for coal miners. Um, she wants to create federal regulations um, on vehicle tailpipe emissions. Uh, $2 Job-killing regulations. <laughs> <laughs> right, and she wants to create um, jobs. Uh, I don't remember what this specific number was, but there's a some, something like 1.5 million jobs will be created in the process of green manufacturing and creative in, creating incentives for companies to engage in green manufacturing here and not in other con- not like outsourcing it to China or whatever. So. Um, do, do you – is there a candidate that stands out to you? I've obviously tipped my hat. Warren is the one that stood out to me on uh, on the climate change issue. Do you – is there someone that you felt like is really hitting the mark? Um, I like Warren for a very – not even petty, just for a very simple reason because um, my brain is having a hard time taking it all in. So I read that she spoke with Ensley after he yeah. bowed out. And I was like, that's good thinking. I'm with her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like That's I, a catchy slogan, right? Yeah, that I know. She because should. I'm with, I'm, I'm with her. I'm with her. Yeah. Jay, do Jay Inslee's plan, for those of you who don't know, has been wi- widely lauded by environmentalists as a great plan. Right. And I think I, I like that she thought to speak to him about it, but also clearly had her own ideas and that... Uh, the work was to kind of integrate it and see what what could actually be done within mm. and you know what i mean mm-hmm. and yeah. i mean i don't know that's the kind of thinking that's going to be necessary and one of the things she said in the town hall yesterday that i thought was phenomenal was she was like you know we we have a climate change package right of what we want to do but it's actually uh a segment of literally everything we would do in government. So if we have a trade deal with another country, the trade deal would be like, okay, how much what how much does your product emit? What are the emissions rate right, rates of right, your product? Right. That's going to be taken into consideration when we make trade deals, for mm-hmm. example, right? So that it's not it's like it's a part of absolutely everything that the government does. It's not a it's yeah, not just so a it's not just like just okay, let's talk climate change for about 30 minutes. Yeah. Before I go to lunch no, and exactly. then go on to other things. It is it's not included. that. It is every day in every aspect what, of what we do. What is the climate change aspect of this policy? Um, and I think that was that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we should be thinking about it all the time. Did you did anyone strike you as interesting? Uh, all of them did. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but you have to look at how our friends on the other side respond to this and it's all job killing regulation. It's all just fantasy. And it's kind of hilarious because these are the folks who claim to be pro-life and Here's the deal. If you reject the overwhelming consensus of the world's scientific community on climate change, you don't get to tell me you care about the unborn anymore. 
And I want to see the Democrats take the fight to them on this. You are not a patriot. You are not a Christian. You don't care about the unborn if you want to just keep on doing the Trump doctrine of rewarding polluters. Warren's plan does create jobs. And that is the part that has to be hammered because you have to see what their lies are about Paris Accord, about what have Mm -hmm. you. So, you know, the best part about being a climate change denier is that you're going to be long gone by the time your grandchildren curse your name for having been one. In the meantime, you either want to make it better or you want to make it worse. And we have a pretty clear choice here of, you know, a side that is rewarding polluters because they'll say that creates jobs. At the end of the day, there's only one real question. Does your climate plan include any kind of means or plan to blackmail Mitch McConnell with embarrassing, compromising photographs? Because the only question is, how are you going to get the Republican Senate to cooperate in ways Barack Obama couldn't? Yeah, what is is your political savvy on that? I had Bernie on my show two weeks ago, and that was my main question. How are you going to get Mitch McConnell to to come to the table in ways that President Obama couldn't? What was his answer? He gave a good Bernie answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. and, I, and I love Bernie. He's great. He's, you know, Bernie on his Bernie on fire with a head injury and leprosy is better than Trump on his best right. day. So. True. And also Bernie has a very comprehensive plan. His spending on it is m- even higher than all of the candidates. Yeah, I think his was the highest. Perhaps? Yeah, his yeah. is the highest. And Bernie's Bernie's best line was about how, you know, we're going to cut the military budget. And they said, why? He goes, because we're not going to be having wars for oil anymore. And it was one of my favorite comments of the week. Yeah, mm. that is. Is a, that is a good one. That's yeah, a great that's one. Great line. That's Nicely fucking done. reasonable. Yeah. It's so fucking reasonable. He said, he said we're not going to have oil wars anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's such a reasonable thing, and yet it still makes people go, <gasps> <gasps> right? Reason? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, yeah sorry. Well, logic. Can I mention something that Andrew Yang um, has in his um, policy that I wanted to talk about, which is that he wants to have a fund, and a lot of people have some, something similar to this, a fund to relocate people that are affected by climate change. It's kind of controversial, right? This this divide between rebuilding an area that has been affected by climate change mm-hmm. versus just relocating people and recognizing that that area is maybe not fit for rebuilding. Where do you guys stand on that for people that have been in a particular land for generations um, telling them that they have to move or that or that, you know, that there won't be any federal assistance, rather, um, for them to rebuild. I I feel like many of those people won't move. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's yeah. a, I, I get the idea and I get the thought behind it. But if you add the human aspect to it, I, I don't see where that's going to end up uh, working out. That seems like a huge just backfire in the making. Mm, you could because, have my beachfront property when you pull up yeah, my cold, you know, dead, because soggy that's hands. also going to um, end up affecting a lot of um, a lot of uh, people who, like, I guess maybe the working poor. You know, people who are in someone in poverty, but they own their land, they own their house, and it's been in the, their families for generations now. Is the area perhaps terrible because these people have all been funneled into a horrible part of town? Well, yes, but it's also theirs. Yeah. And they've been making do for a couple of generations yeah. at this point. So now you're like, oh, it turns out that there's a little schmutz in the in the dirt. So we, we're going to have to move you. No, I don't see I don't see that going well because then it looks like you're just forcing people out. Where are you putting yeah. them? Right. I mean, where But there's like, you know, and then there's there's but there's that, right? Mm-hmm. So the places that are sort of like 
mo- like moderately habitable. <laughs> but right. like then there's places um, like there's these barrier islands off of the coast of Louisiana mm-hmm. that are just they're underwater. So there right. really is no rebuilding on That's them. Right. Uh, and those, you know, there are people that, that have been there for generations. There's tribes um, that, mm-hmm. you know, that are there. Uh, and so I I think it's, it's tough because there are also um, issues of like tribal sovereignty and what do we do with right. you know uh and they and 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 Elizabeth Warren brought up you know the being stewards of the land and we they were for generations and we're how do we um you know create a situation in which they can continue to be stewards mm-hmm. of the land so i mean it's yeah it's complicated and it's hard to tell people this like this parcel is over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, I mean, on paper though, I, and as a, I'm sure as an assignment, that is excellent. It's, it's a great idea for sure. Yeah. But yeah. man, when you get uh, emotions involved, it's. And, and uh, let, let me, my, my last question to you guys is, um, is this a question? Cause there's a, I felt like maybe in some cases people were sort of like out progressiving each other. <laughs> Um, how do do you where do what do you think is going to be like the metric by which people make a determination if climate change is their number one issue? And by the way, oh, I I wrote down a couple of statistics. that you're not Trump is the metric that you're not Trump is the metric. No, totally, because a, a majority of registered voters nationwide, fifty six percent, said that climate change is an emergency. Um, that majority included eighty four percent of Democrats. Mm. Um, eighty one percent of Republicans said that climate change is not an emergency. Okay. Uh, 18 to 34-year-old voters um, who would be most affected of the of that demographic, 74% said that climate change is an emergency. So the 67% of Americans uh, in general say right. that more needs to be done and that America needs to be a leader. Um, so, so is this something that people are going to vote on? If 67% of Americans... We should win this election is what I'm saying. Right, yeah. Like, it's I mean, just, I don't even know. I mean, I, I, it, for some people, for some people it yeah. may be, I mean, it feels like an emergency. But at this point, so many things feel like an emergency that um, I wonder that if they really break it down uh, more than I, more than I'm expecting, we'll probably vote on this. Um, but... I don't know if it's going to be major enough, which is why I think working it in to all types of policy is like Warren is discussing might be the best way to even tackle it so that it's just understood that it's going to be part of the fabric of. Right. Right. But otherwise. 20 years from now, when the GOP are claiming they were always the ones at the forefront. Yes. The the way they claim we were always conservatives were leading the civil rights movement. Really. Totally. Um, yeah. But your point is actually yeah. very apt because they like to say how divided we are as America. I don't really think we are when it comes to ideology. We, the majority of Americans believe science. The majority of Americans want to do something about this. The majority of Americans want the rich to pay more taxes. The majority of Americans want to decriminalize weed. The majority of Americans support a woman's right to uh, sovereignty over her body. We're not divided. We're divided in terms of our participation on election day in our civic engagement we're divided but america's not divided on the issues no. we come down on clearly the progressive sides on just about everything but this is not going to be an issue people vote on people who don't care 
will vote for the man who doesn't care. People who do care will vote, and it's all going to come down to a few percentage points in seven states. Fuck the Electoral College. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Thank you, dead slave owners. Uh, but I, I really, because it feels like 2018 was the year that we started caring about women. Now let's make, twi- <laughs> right? Like, well, that, um, that's, that's, that comes around every 20, 25 years or so. I re- well, I want us to continue to care about what, the way we're like trying to add climate change to every policy. Let's continue to remember women every, to, every with everything. Sure, sure. Um, and then let's just add climate 2020. Let's make it the year of women and climate change. You know, that's uh, like, like everything like, like, you know, abortion rights or like mass incarceration or guns. The problem in this country is so many folks who have one degree of empathy. It's got to happen to someone I know before I care. That and is true. For a if lot it of folks, doesn't, if they, it doesn't hit them, that's why I don't, I don't know if climate change because it still feels abstract, abstract even, yeah. though even though we've got like, a hurricane that's like, not moving yeah. and the Amazon is yeah. on fire. It right. still feels abstract. There's not yeah. a lot of climate scientists buying beachfront property in Florida for a reason. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's all going to come down to, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these folks are going to have to have their neighborhoods or someone they know get flooded and before they believe yeah. it. Because um, there's a 24-hour propaganda network telling them not to trust science. Speaking of getting flooded, I just want to close this segment by reminding people about Hurricane Dorian mm. um, and the Bahamas. Super fucked, Extremely. Um, some really, really sad and horrible stories coming out of there. Um, you can donate to the National Association of the Bahamas Hurricane Relief Fund. Um, again, that's the National Association of the Bahamas Hurricane Relief Fund. Because uh, I know the people of Fake the Nation do that kind of thing. Because you guys are great and you care. Uh, you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, gifted and talented programs. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey 
trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness for like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies Pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives, which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash Fake the nation um, will be taken off. That's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket 
money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. And we are back. (laughs) You guys, and let's get into topic number two. So here's the deal with New York City. It's ridiculously diverse. The student population is mostly made up of Black and Latinx students, but the city's gifted classes are made up of about three quarters white and Asian Americans. So we have a bit of a segregation problem. Just a smidge. And then then this is – so I was reading a piece about this in the New York Times, and the opening – sentence on this gifted and talented programs was this to get into a gifted and talented elementary school program in new york city children must face children must ace a single high stakes exam when they are four years old and i laughed out loud because i didn't realize that it was four-year-olds taking this exam (laughs) um so what do you so so de blasio uh, who we know as a ill-fated presidential candidate, <laughs> um, he uh, appointed a panel study, to, a panel to study this problem, and the panel suggested this that the city get rid of the program, the gifted and talented program, um, and the harrowing test of four-year-olds. <laughs> Guys, were you, are they reading Tolstoy at four? John, you have a kid. Was he? Is that what the what they're doing? I mean, who? What are they testing? You okay, know, it's so funny because Me Too is defined by are we going to define someone's entire life based on the worst thing they ever did, and now are we going to define your entire future based on your score on a test when you were four and didn't even realize what you were doing? And that's really what this is now. The most fun part about this is reading National Review and watching the pearl clutching and saying, oh, no, they're getting rid of our gifted and talented programs, which are overwhelmingly tilted towards Caucasians or people of means. Yeah. Um, You know, just like our testing is. And it takes people, again, a long time to decode how that really works. But it doesn't take you too long to understand why a poor kid is not necessarily going to do as well on this test as a child whose parents read to it every day. So it's, it's deeply, deeply unfair. But it is worth pointing out, this sort of thing is um, the the conservatives flip out. 
they say, okay, this is like forced busing 101 all over again. De Blasio has distanced himself from this, like the electorate has distanced itself from Bill de Blasio's presidential campaign. Keep that in mind. De Bla- like this is never going to happen in New York. Bill de Blasio will never do this. He had a commission. They recommended this. De Blasio has already said, eh, no. And um, that's the end of it, except for the outrage. And, you know, it's it, it brings me back to busing. Uh, I think busing's great. But, you know, when Kamala Harris had her her memeable moment, I'm like, so are the Democrats going to really get behind busing? Because I'd love to see that. I'd yeah. love to see them fight for it. But yeah. they won't. They've quietly walked away from it. And again, when you try to redress grievances and injustices, you get accused of identity politics. Yeah. When you focus on white males, no one accuses you of identity politics. And the problem we would have with this is, I, you know, maybe it'll happen on the local level and some cities will try it and some cities will pull it off and have some data to show for it. Um, it's not going to happen in New York based on this commission. Well, it yeah. was... First off, I, I'm i relatively new to New York in that I was born here and then my family shuttled us away quickly. And now I've been back for six years. So I've befriended people with children and I am very confused as to how children go to school here. Are we not <laughs> oh, I mean, are we awful. not just going to the school that's in the district? No. Why are what what's happened? Why is that? Right. It's and so complicated. It's extremely complicated. Even, yeah, it's and really I mean and I grew up in Atlanta to be uh, to put a finer point on it. I grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia. So and that's a huge piece of granite with Confederate Army heroes etched in the side. Oh, so God. I know from busing. Okay. Like they were, <laughs> they were still doing it in the 80s when I was in high school, yeah. for sure. Um, and I, so I, I, I just don't understand, first off, how you're sending your kids to school. Also, my understanding is New York is kind of one of the last places, if not the only place, that's still dealing with doing the, things the this yeah. way yeah. the yes, four-year-old way i right. mean like you know like the testing my sister when we were in high school she went to a a magnet school it was a performing arts high school it was not in our district but you know you audition they let you in um i think when i was maybe in fourth grade or something they let me take a test they were like oh you seem kind of smart they stuck me in a program and then we moved and i went to another school and they were like oh yeah we don't have that and it's like all right cool i'll just keep it you know what i mean like it's i i don't understand how that's not right so i think one of the things that the one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this and you're bringing up the point is essentially it's all over the fucking place, depending on where you are, and th- which kind of like highlights the fact that we need some federal standards and we don't have them, right? Because right. everyone— Are we still not keeping childs behind? Are we still doing that? <laughs> no, no, child. no, are we, no Are we leaving are them we... behind? Or I'm... is that done? <laughs> Honestly, I've seen that also. Is... I have no I don't idea. know because I had a lot of friends who were like— instructors at that time and the stuff that they went through for all the testing and all of that kind of stuff. Like, is this just the pendulum swinging the other way of like, okay, just the one test and then they seem smart enough because they knew where the test was and they knew how they had enough to pay for Mm. the things. And And so we'll just send them there. Right. I mean, the, the, the problem is with all of the tests, I mean, so some districts are testing, doing multiple tests so that not everything comes down on one test. Mm-hmm. And then they'll test 
in some districts, they'll test a kindergartner, and some some of them will be a first or second or third grader, right? Like I said, it's all over the place. Yeah. We don't know what the best practice is, <laughs> I, which I, I think is the fucking a big Oof. problem in this country. And the other, in some places, will also include in class performance as a metric. Yeah, some of them just do it based on testing. So, hmm. I, so, and I just want to by in class performance, you mean behavior? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I just want to point out something uh, from my own experience. So in my district, they tested us. I think we were seven or maybe second grade mm-hmm. and or whatever that is. And um, I didn't make the cut. I didn't make the cut. And I was really upset because I wanted to be in the gift intelligence program. I was an extremely driven second year old, second sure. grader. Right. And I like recruited my mother who didn't know uh, that this was even happening, <laughs> that I was tested. She didn't, she's an immigrant. She doesn't, right. she didn't know. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I, ca- and I said, listen, mom, we're going to go to school. You're going to fucking get in there. And like, you're going to fight for me because I need to be in that program. And, uh, she was just like, oh yeah. Okay. Let's do it and she went and she fought for me and they put me in the program I think this sounds like bragging but then I went on to be (laughs) top of my class and and I ended up in not one but two Ivy League schools they obviously that fucking test obviously had it wrong Mm. right Right, when it came to me now how many so for so for places that are doing these tests districts that are just that have a test or a couple of tests how many kids like me are are getting it wrong exactly you know right. and yeah. because did all did the gifted and talent program and the, followed by the ap classes that i ended up taking and mm-hmm. all that stuff i mean i basically walked into college as a sophomore because i'd taken so many ap classes and had taken so many of those tests that i got college credit for them mm-hmm. you know um i was the opposite it, but, but it put me on a path you know yeah and that's because I, somehow as a seven-year-old, I knew that someone had to fight for me. But why, I don't even know why I knew that. Well, that's your Muslim privilege in this society. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious to all of us that you walk between the raindrops. It was awkward for me because I, uh, I was deemed uh, gifted but not talented. And that was really hard to come home and tell my parents about. I said, oh, sorry. You're gifted, kid, but there's, there's no talent. Yeah, I think gifts. I just took the test and told my parents, oh, I get to go into another room during class for like 30 or 45 minutes. And they were like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> what is happening? And then they asked, they're like, oh, got it. All right. right. Okay. But isn't it weird that there's this, you know, it's like the best of parents, right? Right. Don't understand the fucking process because it's different everywhere you go and it doesn't make sense anywhere. What's know? important is to remember the rich kids still do better. And that's what matters. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, and again, they're not look. this, this proposal dealt with scrapping G and T, but but it, it is worth saying that they did want to compensate for that by having magnet schools and enrichment programs True. that don't have any tests you need to take to get yeah. into it. Uh, but also, you know, some kids develop slower. Right. I, I've come to believe that um, I, I'm six two. I'm the shortest in my family, and uh, my <laughs> child is abnormally large. And I have come to believe that. Um, Every child's body grows at different rates, but their nervous system grows at the same rate. So sometimes bigger kids can seem oafish and clumsy because they just haven't finished getting yeah. wired up yet. Right, I, I yeah. was I was diagnosed as mentally retarded as an infant. And um Really? 
Yeah, I, my parents, my dad was an educator, my mom was a nurse, and they were told I was going to be special ed my entire life. <gasps> so children are very That's malleable insane. little creatures, yeah. and and um, I'm slightly better now. Um, <laughs> I mean, you should see my Special Olympics trophies. I kicked ass by the time I was 18. <laughs> but, you know, children develop at different rates, and they develop at different times, and there are growth spurts that don't just have to do with height. Yeah. So I don't think that one single test at the age of four is equitable or or fair, or even smart for yeah. a society. Yeah, no, that sense. doesn't, I don't, that makes no sense. But also, I mean, you know, I, I have, now that I have this baby, I'm noticing these things more. <laughs> this baby. This is like a baby that I have. Um, <laughs> th- that there's testing centers geared towards 18 months old. Yes. Yeah. What oh, the Big fuck? business. It's big business. Yeah, yeah. And uh, So and really the test is just determining how much money do you have to do those classes. Oh, cl- you've got yeah. enough to do the classes and yeah. take this exactly. test. Exactly. Yeah. You are so gifted. Yeah, it's really, and, can and, you go to school on Gattaca? That's what it's all about. And also, and, and, and it's sometimes it's not even about money. It's about like a cultural pressure, you know, like mm-hmm. there'll be, you know, poor Chinese immigrants who will spend every last amount of disposable income of which they have very, very little on a class like that because Mm -hmm. they are just going to, you know, make sure that their child has no fun and gets into this program, (laughs) you know? Um, And so, and that's, I mean, you know, coming from a similarly, like, workhorse-driven immigrant culture that I came from, it was like, that's what you do, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And so they're not even necessarily wealthy, but they're just still like betting on this being the 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 saving grace for their kid and oftentimes it is you know um but yeah so i think as a desegregation plan though um as a desegregation plan it's it's solid and so is busing the question is would there ever be a political will to make it happen and uh, i don't see that happening. I think uh, there's other great desegregation plans like uh, living wage is a desegregation plan. Universal health care is a desegregation plan. Uh, having people not have to, you know, carry a yoke of student debt for 40 years is a desegregation plan. There's, there, you know, free college is a desegregation plan. There's other ways uh, where we can actually bring people together and, and integrate the societies more. People in cities know this, uh, and yet cities can also be the most diverse and the most segregated areas. But just having a random test given to a four-year-old is not going to be a fair grouping for any children, and there's going to be a lot of kids more on their game by the time they're six or seven who will be deprived of this opportunity. Um, and it, And just my last question is, what do we say to... Um, to the conservatives, right? Uh, the argument that, like, that they made in the National Review, which is that gifted students also have special needs and that they should be catered to, um, that, like, liberals are trying to cater to everybody <laughs> else, but what about gifted students? It's hilarious. (laughs) I read that piece. It's like, I was stopped at a red light and the car next to me had rap music blasting and I had nowhere to go. What? 
Okay. They literally, the, the National Review I headline read, yeah. literally calls it in New York City an attack on programs. Yeah. For, I mean, an attack on programs for gifted students. All the panel said was, hey, you want to make it better? Don't do it this way. Right. And Bill de Blasio's like, oh, that's too harsh for me. And they're saying, it's an attack. So again, I go for who's offended by this, whether it's climate change or school reform. Yeah. And then say, oh, okay, I want to hear more. Yeah. I mean, what, what's the, pro- what, what, how are we hurting the gifted students by taking away their, what do we, let them tell us, I guess. Yeah, let them the, tell us exactly they, how. Exactly what, were, I feel like what their concerns they're are. They're going to be put in classes with the wrong elements. I mean, that's not. So anecdotally, this um, columnist was saying that mm-hmm. the gifted kids will get bored. Oh, will they? And, well, will they? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. You know, they will get bored. Four, I mean, the, if I don't think five and six year olds are getting bored necessarily. I don't, you know, again, it's not about removing these programs, it's about making the metrics make sense, right? Yeah, um, and it's more of a mix. And ha- also, of- do, and the other thing is, you know, in some districts, not everyone gets tested. That's like, true. I don't even know why I was tested, right? Right, because not all everybody, so you sign up or you opt in or whatever, right? And so, so I, you have to be So you have to be in the know. You have to be in the know. Exactly. And that is that's, that's already a huge a problem. problem. So there's so many simple fixes that don't even threaten any program. Right. Just like one of them is just test everyone uniformly. That's right. one there weird solution. But at which age? Right, but at which age? It, th- and and is it only one test or do you do it again? What if your kid gets dumber as he gets older? That happens you know all the what? time. I think there should be more than one test. The idea that your fate is sealed at, you know, I was a not a great student until I was eight years old. And like, okay. no, until, sorry, until I was my, fr- no, first grade, I was not a great student. That's uh-huh. what it was. First grade, I was not a great student. And then we moved and then I had some sort of like personal revelation. <laughs> Sure, and, sure, sure. And then I became an excellent student. Well, um, so I, don't, I think, you know, yeah, kids I change. I don't plan on having any kids, but if <laughs> Lord willing and the creek don't rise, <laughs> I will not have any children. <laughs> but um, I had already planned on. Um, <laughs> yeah, as long as it stays low, ankle <laughs> deep. But um, I, I think I'm just going to tell anyone who has a kid to use the like, Hollywood way of telling if your kid is smart, uh you know, like, is your kid doing uh, very elaborate math problems on the wall with a crayon? Probably smart. Get that test. A goodwill hunting thing. A goodwill hunting thing. Are they hanging out with uh, jazz musicians and memorizing? That's a little man Tate way. That's very good. Very good. (laughs) Like, how, how, how are they doing it? They got to do it a Hollywood way or else I'm not really going to notice if they're smart or not. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, And I don't know if I will ever be. In some sort of position where someone's going to go, your kid's smart because, you know, my kid is going to be on some level black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they may they may miss them. They may miss them. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Possible. Historically speaking. Historically speaking. Yes. They've yeah. forgotten yeah. sometimes. When we found out we were going to have a child, I, I prayed. I said, God, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. Just please let it be able to write code. That's all I. That's, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's aspirational. <laughs> I want the best for him. 
Um, all right, you guys. Uh, well, I think we now, uh, all the p- parents need is the movie test. And uh, yeah. you guys, and that's it. That's all you need to be able to like effectively raise a child. In the this, movie test? The, yeah, the, just the, compare your child to the children you've seen in movies. To Good Will oh, Hunting yeah. and to yeah. Little Man Tate. And yeah, then yeah. You're, you're good. And opt more for Tate than Good Will Hunting. That kid's a that guy was a mess. You don't want that <laughs> yeah, one. He hung out he with Ben Affleck. Yeah, you don't want to do that. They just talked about apples. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, you guys. Let us move on to our final topic, topic number three. Uh, Fifty years ago, a bunch of youngins gathered at Woodstock to listen to music, uh, to stick it to the man, and to not wear shirts or sunscreen. Uh, they were a part of a gener- generation-defining moment, and this year is the 50th anniversary. Um, just, I want to first ask by, like, do you guys, um, both not having, uh, all three of us, we're not there, uh, <laughs> feel like a, some kind of a nostalgia for this thing we were not around for? Like, what did what are your feelings about Woodstock as, like, historically? Well, I, I don't really get the Woodstock generation talk because the generation didn't all get to go to Yasker's farm. It was a few thousand people out of millions and millions of young people. And I don't really trust these little cultural moments that then get applied to thousands of people. I mean, the Woodstock generation, what about those who were in the military? What about those who were going to grad school at the time? What about those who didn't care about music? They don't speak for the whole generation. It spoke for young people who were really into music of the era and went there. You know, I go to tons of concerts and tons of music fests and, you know, music fans are wonderful. They are not a sampling of the rest of their entire demographic of a culture. Woodstock's great. Uh, You know, they keep trying to replicate it. There's the proof. They keep trying to have it come back every year and, and, and they can't do it. Um, the thing about it is that it's also overrated. The Grateful Dead gave a terrible performance. The band did not have a good night at Woodstock. Hendrix did good, but not everyone had a good show. Richie Havens was great. Didn't give him a huge career. I mean, we can talk about the music all day because at the end of the day, that's all it was. It was people going to hear a ton of live music for a few days. And somehow it's been fetishized by those who weren't there and those who weren't having the sex and having the drugs into being this incredibly wonderful thing, when in reality, it it was filthy, it was gross, the acts were uneven, and people probably <laughs> had fun. It was a nightmare getting there, a nightmare get. Joni Mitchell couldn't even get there, so she wrote a song because she couldn't make it. It was so hard to get there. It, it's not an adequate sampling. It, it would it would be like if we did Lollapalooza as, as you know the marker for an entire generation, which it is. <laughs> Well, not for everybody. Not for Paul Ryan. It says something about the 90s. Yeah. So, you know, I, I dig it, but it's at the same time, um, and it was quite a summer. I mean, it was the summer of Neil Armstrong and uh, walking on the moon and Ho Chi Minh died. A lot of things happened in summer of 69. But, uh, you know, we have the need to take these these incidents and attach much more cultural significance to them than sometimes they even deserve. Yeah. Um, Madonna, anyone? Love her, but really, you know, there's more talented people. It's just the culture fixates on whatever they like, whatever they choose to be emblematic of the entire society. And then the rest of us have to like, you know, watch nostalgia, which is another way of just selling your memories back to you. I mean, the funny thing about Woodstock for me, and just I guess the 60s in general is like, you know, this like free love, like I'm dancing with my shirt off, like, you know, we're peeing wherever we can vibe about that particular cohort we have that in new york city all the time 
We're shirtless and peeing <laughs> everywhere could, and yeah, filthy. If I could watch over some urine today. Um, but I think... The, the, you know, and so the, we're supposed to think of like the baby boomers as all having gone to Woodstock yeah. and then they all sort of, but then for whatever reason, we don't carry forward the narrative about the boomers because then they took a dramatic left turn Thank into you. the eighties where they became extremely materialistic and made the movie wall street. But right? Woodstock was used by the Nixon people to try to smear the ideal, idealistic young people with empathy. You know, they'll always Always try to find a way to smear anyone with empathy like they do with people who support climate change or like they try to smear Black Lives Matter or they'll try to smear Colin Kaepernick or they'll try to smear people who stood up for LGBT rights. And Woodstock was used as much as it was used to like sell people stuff. It was also used by the ones who loved the war in Vietnam and its profits to smear anyone who opposed it as being a libertine who wasn't a serious person who was indulging in sex and drugs and self-absorbed. And and and, it's another way that was used to condemn young people. And look, I I, I, I love that generation. I, I give Crosby, Stills, and Nash credit for helping end a war. So there was a lot of good attached to it. There was a lot of self-indulgence attached to it, but it's really, I think, just become a marketing tool, either against empathy or to sell you your memories back. Do you have any nostalgia for that thing? Not at all. Oh, because, interesting. Because um, it was not what was in my house growing up. There was no reverence for Woodstock. Mine neither. In my house. So I knew it was a thing that existed. And I'm a I'm a big music person. So really most of my Woodstock um information came from working in like an indie record store and having to listen to people uh go on and on and on about uh, Woodstock and go, okay, so it was an outdoor music festival. I don't do those too much, but fine. Um, you know, and uh, but it was mostly mostly music I didn't really listen to and when I would go back in eras to listen to music, it wasn't necessarily what popped up for me personally. Mm. Um, I, I'm sure I can see the marketing, all I've seen is the marketing aspect of it. From afterwards. Afterwards. Right. Yeah. And because of that, um, that's also all I, I've seen with any of a big um, festival that's trying to be a cultural moment. Like, I get it. I see what you're doing. And for the people that you're speaking for, that's cool. I am unfortunately too cynical to buy into it. But I will come to this particular show because you've got A Tribe Called Quest and The Breeders. I will go to that right. one. But I'm not, uh, not going to get a tattoo of whatever, or uh, it's not, it doesn't necessarily define me. Right. You know, and I, I mean, like, and for people who needed to define them, let it define them, man. You know what I mean? I don't understand why we keep trying to. But it is very few because again, it just, it, it didn't carry through to the next decade. Well, I don't think they thought that through. I think it was. Uh, I, I think sometimes it's a little sweaty to even compare, even though I understand it's still that generation that then made it through the 70s somehow and then got to the 80s and they were like, we're making money or whatever, yeah. shoulder pads and, and but the like. That, but isn't that stereotyping them as well? Because, I, you know, I, I used to feel like, oh, and they all became yuppies, but they, they didn't. But I mean, that, these people created Amnesty International and they yeah, created computers. Yeah, that's the thing is, and... I, don't, I didn't know that that was how it was looked at. To me, it was just... 
the dudes who came in and were constantly talking about the music aspect of it. I only paid attention to the music aspect of it if I thought about it at all, some which of, was yeah, Some rarely. of these young people became sellouts and some of them led the anti-apartheid movement in America in the which, 80s. Which, I, mean, I mean, that's just, you know, that's going to happen well, with I, every Yeah. yeah. And can I just say about, about the, I guess, the type of festival that it was, Some the idea of this, the sort of, it was organized, but the spontaneity of it was that, you know, several thousand more people came Mm -hmm. and then they stopped even looking at tickets, right? Right, They just started letting people in, which by the way, um, which I mean is chaos. Was chaos. I mean, there's always chaos and farmers lost their crops that they, their yield that year. I mean, it was like actually terrible for a lot of people. Yeah. um, um, I think the (laughs) idea of this kind of like spontaneous, I think what is interesting is the idea of this kind of spontaneous civic, movement happening at the same time yes. even if it's if even if it's just th- for fun right mm-hmm. like that there was um that so many thousands of people felt moved to do something together it doesn't i mean right things the way they are now feel very planned you know like well, my, i mean me too i mean you know like there's yeah i mean i think that that's that's, that's true yeah i mean like the, those kinds of movements are happening all the time they just don't have a centralized location necessarily or the location is the internet so right. um it's just it's happening it's just happening and in I different that, ways for and me, it may, that's the nostalgia is because when the location is the internet I find that sad and terrible. Yeah. But the people uh, who are doing it love it. And right. they probably look back on the memes of four years ago and go, remember Wasn't that, that amazing when there was Woodstock 55 and we all watched it live stream from our dorm rooms? Oh, I'll never forget those memories. Right. I took you know the brown I mean? acid with my roommate and, well, didn't see anybody else, but that was uh, that was communal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's, you know, that's part of it. I personally, I that's how I absorb everything is through a TV screen. <laughs> right, I'm right, not right. going out much. I break out in the sun. I got issues. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to, like, really just be all up in the there's, mix. I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, Coachella and, and festivals like that are really, like— But those are elite corporate. Those are, elite. are a and lot of really money. corporate. They're really, you that's know, not they're Max not— That's not Max Yasker's farm. That's an anti-choice billionaire putting up the front money for and it. Even, right. And even when that started—I remember when Coachella started, and it still was a little more. But yeah. it didn't—it still didn't feel as— free free lovey as Woodstock did and that's because Woodstock had like 25 years of press to build yeah. that yeah. to build that, that. that. so, so it's yeah. like we're gonna we're gonna do it like this and it's gonna be you know we're gonna be like the festivals that happen over in England all the time we're gonna be out here we're all gonna be camping remember it was you know all of that but it was like yeah but you're trying to build it to an ideal that has had 25 years of, to build lore yeah but for me like on a spiritual level what i always appreciate about woodstock was that it was clearly devoted to the arcane christ uh, judeo christian concept of peace and love <laughs> and um i would love to have more concerts with lots of top tier stars all in the service of peace and love i think those ideas are as radical and as threatening to the patriarchy oligarchy whatever kind of you know bad guy you 
want to assign to it. Uh, and and I like talking about the music and the quality of the music. I mean, on on one level, yeah, this cultural movement, but on another level, I mean, Hendrix was great, not as great as Monterey, but he gave a great set. Uh, you know, I, I am actually, it's a bit awkward for me because I've been celebrating the 25th anniversary of Woodstock 25, not as popular as the 50th anniversary. That was the, uh, that was 94. That was the mud. No, that was not. That oh, that was, was 99. Well, 99 was no, when they so burned it down. 99 was when they burned it down. Yeah, 94, 94 was Green Day and the mud. And I Bob remember Dylan that. And Bob finally showed up in 94 and gave a beautiful set that was just incredible that, that you know, really kept it alive and reminded people why Bob Dylan was good in the first place because he was off in Woodstock living there. We were raising kids when the first Woodstock happened. Um, but I, I, I really kind of felt sad that all of these media lookbacks weren't looking at, you know, why was Joe Cocker special? Why, why, who was Richie Havens? I mean, a black man with a solo guitar opened Woodstock. I saw him live several times, but his name is almost forgotten unless you're a classic rock fan. So yeah. I kind of feel bad that we talk about the festival as like this big sweeping thing and not actually what it was, which was artists making music fans happy. And that's because they had the time to build there this. Is, there is something I feel like that happens now. Uh, I actually don't even know. I'm, I'm sure it still happens. Burning Man, right? Does Burning sure, Man yeah, still happen? Burning happens. Man still happens. Yeah, I forget that it does, but it does. Grover yeah. Norquist ruined that. And there's, <laughs> there's no... I mean, it's it, 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 there. It is like a laissez-faire kind of ridiculous. You know, you can dress up as a penguin and that's your thing yeah. for the week or whatever it is, right? But like, like anything that's been around that long, that it has that much recognition, which is a thing that Woodstock, who's the 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 ballad of Woodstock, has been around yeah, for a yeah, long time. The yeah. actual you know, just the one time, but. With Burning Man, that event happening so much, and same with Coachella, whatever it it's it moves from being this one time moment that we all thing, yeah, yeah, and now it's like oh, I, I got a Kickstarter because I'm trying to build a thing to take out the Burning Man. You right, know what right, I mean? Right. Like people I mean, are yeah, trying I'm sure to top there's themselves. Like some sponsored and there's some yeah, there's shenanigans. For sure, Red Bull was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Willing <laughs> to bet for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so like it it. Uh, we've changed I guess, as a people, I, yeah, and so people. we have. Woodstock was our ideal of what was. That's how it's always felt to me. At this time, we were real good. Remember when we were good? We all got together on a farm, and, we, and I was like, "Yeah, I feel like that." In that year, there were other things going on in the country mm. that were not as good, and those were the yeah. things that I heard about. But <laughs> in fairness, those are the but those were the people who were protesting that war, and that's right. why the power right. s- uh, system wanted to demonize them and make them seem like superficial, spoiled, entitled kids with sex and drugs. I mean, what was it? Twenty uh, odd years after that, when I was a kid, I was a marshal for the Nelson Mandela Welcoming Committee in 1990, and to me, being in Yankee Stadium, working that rally, that was my Woodstock having you know, Tracy Chapman and all these artists come out to perform and Mandela himself there in a stadium full of people cheering. And it's really the same spirit. It's it's about what you've all assembled there and what kind of love is uniting you and what kind of dream of a better, more loving world brought you there. And that's what separates an event like that from an event like Woodstock 99, mm-hmm. where you have fucking Limp Biscuit just singing break shit and Kid Rock singing balls yeah, in your mouth they, and people they... setting towers on fire during a Chili Peppers set. I mean, there's... That's toxic masculinity. And it's like, we're all rooting for one or the other, Woodstock 99 or Woodstock 69, to ultimately be the country we live in. 
Uh, I don't want the 69. Personally, I don't want the 69 (laughs) version of the country. Well, I'm saying, but do you want the love it, the peace and love version? Or do you want the break shit and be a toxic masculine? I I can only say I know. I feel like I know more about the toxic masculinity because I've been in that longer than I have than I what I have been told what 69 was like. Now, granted, I had some hardcore pro black parents. I come from a pan-African background. So, you know, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I get the peace and love part, but it wasn't like that for everyone. The the 99, I by then knew enough to be like, no, I'm not going to go where a bunch of white folks are going to sit around and break stuff. They have a song called Break Stuff. I'm not doing that. Mosh pits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mosh pits. I saw a girl break her arm in a Juliana Hatfield mosh pit. What was she <laughs> listening to? Do you know what I mean? At that point, I was just like, y'all are going wild. And this is on. I don't understand it. And so I don't know about. I mean, I guess there are collective moments. And I, I appreciate you saying that you're working that Nelson Mandela thing was your um, Woodstock. I understand the importance for collective moments. Um but uh, they're also there's also building your own Woodstock, basically your own times where you're like, yeah, this is this is my, this is, yeah. this is important to me. This is a thing yeah. that you you know what I mean. And it can come from um, not even a joyous thing. It can it can be a moment. I remember when uh, I for some reason uh, like a few years ago with the Eric Garner thing, mm-hmm. and they had announced that they had acquitted the. The policeman and I just walked out into the street into a rally and we just, yeah. well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was yeah. just, yeah. That was just a moment yep. where I was like, I truly don't know what to do at this point. And I just need to be around people who also feel up, as upset and lost as I yeah. do. You're right. In many I, ways, all the Iraq war protests. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, well. yeah, I feel like those just are like my those kinds of, so yeah. 2004, if we're I think talking it was, for like the social and, right, issue and, part and, of and it. The, the social issue part of it, but also the sheer number of people that were out on the streets. Yeah, and it's like, always the it same. People who come out for a universal, empathetic and moral reason yeah. who will be demonized by the power structure right. for being uh, anti-American. Yeah. And it happens every time. And yeah. it's all aspirational. What is the intent? What is the spirit of the gathering? Uh, if it is just to be aggressive and break shit, then you can have it. If you're getting together, I don't care if I like the music or not. If it's people of goodwill coming together to have a good time, absolutely, part Party your ass off, make love, do drugs, whatever your thing is, dance around naked. But if it's also in the spirit of love and anti-violence and anti-oppression and anti-war, I think we need more of that. And I think grownups need to start going to it more than kids. That, I totally agree with that. Grownups, mm. we're, we're part of the solution. <laughs> Yeah, we can be at this point going to Woodstock is like privilege if you have a kid. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, All right, you guys. Uh, Thanks for walking down that uh, memory lane with me (laughs) of a memory none of us have. Three people who weren't alive talking about it. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, there's also uh, readers. There's a there's a great piece in Vox um, that basically talks about the myth of um, the uh, Woodstock generation. So that's what inspired this segment. Uh, So check that out. Um, That is the end of the show. We always ask at the end of shows, um, how do you feel? I feel all right. (laughs) I feel pretty good. Great. Yeah, yeah. Overall, (laughs) I've worked hard to get to a level of, eh. Okay, 
There we go. Yeah, yeah, for me, it's a constant battle of balancing out the batshit and the dead inside. Um, you know, like there's days when I'm too batshit and I need to bring up the dead inside. Other days where I'm so dead inside, I need some anxiety to wake myself yeah. up. Get yeah. some batshit in there. So yeah. that's that's really the best I hope for now is a balance. I feel like of you dead struck a really good balance today. Thank you, Nikki. Yeah. I, the, the part of me that's dead inside doesn't care, but the part of me that's anxious will take your modest praise. <laughs> I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the amazing things that you do. Shalewa, where do they do that? Uh, I am all on all of the social media type things, your your Twitter, your Instagram, your Venmo, at, um, <laughs> at Silky Jumbo, all one word, traditional spelling. Silky Jumbo. You Silky can Jumbo. And then remind them of your album. My album is called So You Just Out Here. And uh, it's on uh, all the things that you can listen to things on or download or I don't even know if people want to own anything anymore. I hope <laughs> you do. I, do. Own it. I, I would like you to. Of course, there are no physical copies, but digitally, digitally I'd love you own to it. own me. My ancestors are not happy that I just said that, but trust me, <laughs> uh, I do mean it from a good place. But yeah, and that's out and I'm happy about that. And that's pretty much all I'm talking about. I'm uh, on all the socials on the Insta and Facebook and Twitter. John Fugelsang. Good luck spelling that. I do a daily show on Sirius XM Insight. And through September 21st, I'm going to be headlining Laughing Liberally Off-Broadway with a different lineup of talented and hilarious satirists and political comedians every night, including Nagin Farsad. We've also got Marina Franklin, uh, who was in Trainwreck and is just wonderful. Elaine Boozler is uh, coming out of retirement doing four shows with us. Oh, that's fantastic. Janine Garofalo, uh, Ted Alexandro, Judah Friedland. Lander, a different Mike cast Kaplan, of, Mike Kaplan. Also, by the way, these are many of these names are veterans of Fake the Nation. They are a lot of people from your show and my so show. So you guys are specifically the people who will love going to this show. You should definitely go. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really, really fun. And to have Nagin Farsad back on stage working with me is a special treat. <laughs> special treat. You guys know where to find me. I'm I'm doing the New American Festival uh, next week-ish. Look it up on my <laughs> website. I would love to see you guys there. It's also, um, I think, a show that the Fake the Nation audience would love. Oh, and please check out my new um, column in the Progressive Magazine. My column's called Hemming and Hawing, and this month, I talk about uh, our our never-ending tensions with Iran um, and how annoying that is uh, <laughs> and the playbook for how they turn out every time. Um, so, so check that out um, and please uh, share with your peeps. But what I really want to do is thank the production team here at Fake the Nation. Uh, that's our producer, Harry Nelson, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, uh, Gabby Alterotor, theme music, Lily Fleshler helps with research. Um, and you guys, we love to hear from you. Please send us your feedback on topics we should be chatting about, guests we should have. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981. You can drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show that's a real thing you guys um all right we'll be back next week in your earballs goodbye